0: I learned that if I was going to get the recognition that other chefs of my caliber were getting, I would have to go after it myself.
1: Welcome to The Story Exchange, featuring the stories and strategies of entrepreneurial women around the world. I'm Colleen DeBase. And I'm Victoria Wong. Today, we're talking about women in the kitchen, specifically female chefs. This is a topic near and dear to our hearts at the Story Exchange, and not just because we're foodies. Although we are definitely foodies. (laughs) That we are. But we, like a lot of people, have been none too pleased at the lack of media attention for women in the restaurant industry.
2: Yeah. Do you remember that brouhaha when Time Magazine published the Gods of Food article, I think it was back in late 2013. There wasn't a single woman on that list. No, nope, nope, there wasn't. And we're not saying it's all Time Magazine's fault. This has been
1: happening for a long time. But that omission in particular really caused a backlash.
2: Yeah, especially when you consider how many talented women are running kitchens these days. Barbara Lynch, April Bloomfield, Susan Spicer, Anita Lowe, and the list goes on. Yeah, and it's an impressive list, too. So
1: we wanted to rectify the situation. We headed to Boston, home of possibly the most famous chef of all time, Julia Child.
0: We're roasting Miss Chicken today on The French Chef.
2: Now, Julia served as a role model for other women, so it's no surprise to us that she ushered in a wave of young female chefs, especially in Boston. So we zeroed in on two Cambridge
1: chefs in particular, Jody Adams and Anna Sorton. Jodi knew Julia and was directly influenced by her. Today, she owns Rialto Restaurant. It's 20 years
0: old. It's in the Charles Hotel. I got a James Beard Award while I was here. You know, just enormously high recognition for the work that we did.
1: And Jodi has been a friend and mentor to Anna, who has run the restaurant Oleana for the past 14 years.
3: I decided I wanted to have my own restaurant pretty early on. If I had known how hard it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it.
1: Now... If you want to be a female chef, you really do have to be prepared to beat the odds. Men hold the vast majority of the highest paying and most prominent kitchen jobs at top restaurants. That's according to a Bloomberg analysis.
2: Yes, but there are plenty of women running top kitchens. They just don't get the media attention they deserve. In today's show, we want to highlight two remarkable women and share the stories of how they rose through the ranks the bias they encountered along the way, and their advice for other women who dream of running kitchens.
1: Jodi Adams remembers her first job as a 25-year-old cook, working directly on the hotline.
0: The first couple of months, I cut myself, I burned myself, I was a mess, I cried, but I survived.
1: Today, Jody, now 58, has won accolades as the owner of Rialto. It's an Italian-style restaurant that's been a fixture in Cambridge for two decades.
0: We built this really fun restaurant that got four stars off the bat. And to be in the middle of Harvard Square, surrounded by Harvard and that community, means that we have, I think, the most interesting clientele in the world coming through the doors of Rialto.
1: Like a surprising number of chefs, Jody started at a very young age and without a lot of formal training.
0: I did not go to culinary school, but I knew how to cook. From the time I was 16 or 17, I was making money working in food. I worked for a gourmet food store. I worked for catering companies. One summer I was a private cook.
1: Jody studied at Brown University and for a while thought about becoming a nurse practitioner But science turned her off, and the call of the kitchen was just too tempting.
0: I was about 25, and I thought, I'm going to decide a path that is going to make me happy. And it was food. But I was met with a lot of surprising roadblocks. Uh, I was told that I was too old, that uh, I wasn't gonna be strong enough to lift the pots and pans. And then I was told by people I was too inexperienced, even though I had all of this cooking experience. I just didn't have restaurant experience.
1: But Jody was lucky in that she had met a very influential person during her time at Brown, Julia Child.
0: She was coming to Providence to do a fundraiser on stage and she needed assistance, so I washed dishes. She made a sponge sugar dome that she put over some dessert. It was very dramatic.
1: And she was lovely, and it was really a great experience. Jody had stayed in touch, so she contacted Julia for advice on how to break into the restaurant business.
0: So she sat down with me and talked to me about Coming to Boston and who I should work for and what I should look out for and you know the fact that I didn't have any restaurant experience that would be a problem but I was a good cook and I was motivated and so she was very instrumental in you know giving me the confidence to apply for a job in Boston.
1: In the early 1980s Jody finally landed her first restaurant job. She was hired by a female chef Lydia Shire who ran Seasons in the Bostonian Hotel.
0: I ended up working directly on the hotline, which was really crazy. I would never do that with somebody who'd never worked in a restaurant before. It was one of the hardest things I ever did those first, you know, three months in that restaurant, but I felt like I was home. I was where I belonged. You ended the night and you, uh, you maybe were laughing or crying because you never really knew, um, but you had an opportunity the next day to come in and do it all over again and do it better.
1: We've been talking about Jody Adams, who got her first job on the hotline, which is where hot food is cooked, as opposed to the cold line where salads are made. She graduated to a sous chef position, and then eventually became executive chef at a Boston restaurant called McCalla's, where she learned to be a manager. She created innovative menus, mixing regional New England ingredients with traditional Italian cuisine. She also learned to lean in, To use a catchphrase that's popular now, though no one had heard of it back then.
0: I learned that if I was going to get the recognition that other chefs of my caliber were getting, I would have to go after it myself. Women, we are often overlooked. It's not going to happen
1: if we sit back and wait. For instance, she recalls one situation where the New York Times was doing a feature story on Boston chefs and sent a photographer to about six different restaurants, including her own.
0: He took pictures of all the food, and I said, are you going to take a picture of me? And he said, oh, no, don't worry about it. I already have a picture of a woman. I don't need one of you. So I took a deep breath and kept the fire from
1: coming out of my ears. Jody called around and found out that all the other male chefs had had their pictures taken. So wearing her chef's hat, she ran back to the photographer.
0: I said, I really think you want to take a picture of me. And he said, OK. And uh, that is the picture that was chosen to be on the front page of the food section for this article in the New York Times. People who are in the game and in the picture don't wait, whether it's men or women. They're out there, to a certain extent, self-promoting. And although that sort of makes everybody feel a little uncomfortable, you have to.
1: Jody was named Best Chef by Food & Wine magazine in 1993. And later that year, she and three partners opened Rialto. So, Victoria, you are joining us today, not just because you're the co-founder of The Story Exchange, but because you are a Bostonian. Yes, I am. (laughs) And I know you've dined at Rialto and, of course, met Jodi. In fact, you helped produce our video profile of her, which listeners can watch if they go to our site, thestoryexchange.org. So tell me what Jodi is like in action.
2: Well, when I've seen her, she's always wearing a white apron with a tie in front and When she's in the kitchen, she's something like a mother hen, going around, talking to her staff, tasting recipes. But above all, she's very, very accessible. You see her at the restaurant talking and greeting customers. As she says, restaurants run on physical presence. You have to be out with the staff and customers. Let's listen.
0: People are often surprised if I'm here on New Year's Eve or Mother's Day or Thanksgiving, but I feel that those are times, and during the week, I mean just a regular night, it's important
2: to be here. So what does Rialto look like? It's quite big. It can seat around, oh, 100 or so people. You enter through the bar area that leads into the dining room, there are floor to ceiling draperies in pumpkin, olive, and white, which gives it the warmth and intimacy to the whole restaurant. It's simple, sleek, and modern, but also very welcoming. Sounds fabulous.
1: And obviously, it's successful. I know Rialto grosses about $4 million a year, although profit margins, and especially in the restaurant industry, are not
2: as big as one would think. Yes, that's correct. And you know, Jody is very conscious of that.
0: I walk through the kitchen, and if I see the end of a head of celery, I'll pull it out and say, we can use this. This is money right here. That's how you have to run the business. You cannot take anything for granted.
2: Well, she's a very savvy businesswoman. She sure is. She bought out her partners in 2007, so she's now the sole owner of Rialto. And a few years ago, she and two other partners raised $2 million to open a casual dining restaurant called Trade. This is located in Boston's Waterfront District. She's also very generous with her time. She acts as a mentor, especially for young female chefs. Yeah, the next
1: chef we're going to speak to, Anna Sorton,
2: sought out her advice when she was opening her restaurant, Oleana. You know, Jody truly believes it's so important for women to help other women. And she believes this happens more in Boston than in other cities like New York.
0: Boston is an area where there is a high percentage of recognized women chefs. That can be attributed in part to Julia's presence here and Lydia Shire to a great extent sort of paving the way you know it's up to us to support other women not just in our businesses but in any business and yes there is a big thick ceiling of white men it's not a glass ceiling it's a thick ceiling of white men but it doesn't mean that we can't get through it
1: Before we move on to our next chef, I wanted to recount some situations of sexual harassment that Jody faced when she was moving up the male-dominated ranks in the kitchens. She told me that early in her career, she was repeatedly hit upon at work. One guy even called her a lesbian when she wouldn't return his advances. And another time, a male colleague slapped her backside, saying she had tempted him, to which she said firmly, don't ever do that again. Is there still abuse in kitchens? Jodi says certainly not in hers, but there are still misogynistic chefs that throw things, scream at people, and tell jokes about women that are disgusting. The next person we want to talk to you about is Anna Sorton, another top chef in Boston. She, too, experienced blatant sexism when she was just starting out 25 years ago, although she thinks it's gotten better.
3: I was called a lot of things, a lot of pet names, uh, and bad names too, that just wouldn't happen these days.
1: Anna, who's now 48, is reluctant to talk about gender bias in the industry, or why female chefs still don't get as much attention as men. The reality, she says, is that long hours make it hard for anyone, man or woman, to be in the restaurant business. A lot of
3: responsibility, it's a lot of risk, it's a lot of unknown, it's a lot of money, and you have to have guts.
1: Anna opened Oleana, a Middle Eastern restaurant near Harvard Square, about 14 years ago. She and her business partner have since opened Safra, which is a cafe, and Sarma, which is modeled after a Turkish tavern. All three places gross about $8 million in revenue. This is an
3: Ottoman dish, toasted raviolis with lamb, and we serve them with yogurt.
1: Just like Jody, Anna got her start at a very young age, at a small neighborhood restaurant in Seattle, her hometown.
3: I was washing dishes when I was 14 years old. I just kept watching the kitchen the whole time I was working and um, I knew I wanted to be back in there. I sort of developed a love for not just food, but good food.
1: The owners of the restaurant saw Anna's potential and sent her to take cooking classes with a teacher who had studied at La Varenne, a culinary school in Paris.
3: It became a no-brainer for me. I said, I've got to go to this school. I'm going to follow her footsteps. I'm going to do this. The more people sort of doubted it, the more it
1: made me want to do it. Anna spent two years learning French, not the easiest of languages to learn, so she could pass La Varenne's fluency requirements. She arrived in Paris in the late 1980s at age 19. Thank God I was
3: completely ignorant because I don't think I would have done it if I had known. <laughs> how awful it was gonna be and how not fluent I was when I arrived because everybody in the kitchen was not speaking at all the way I learned. Um, My French kinda went down into the gutter.
1: Anna worked as a stagiaire at the cooking school, which means...
3: I worked for the education, so I would work all day and then do my classes at night. So they were very long days, 14, 15 hour days, five days a week.
1: She learned an incredible amount, although this was also the first time she was exposed to the sexist environment in French kitchens.
3: I saw a lot of things that I hope I'll never see and I hope my daughter never sees about being respected in the workplace. The point that really stuck the most for me at the end was doing my apprenticeship in a restaurant afterwards. This very, very famous chef in who I was over the moon because he was complimentary. He talked to my chef about my work, said she's great. When she's ready to do her internship, I'll take her, no problem. And I counted the days of doing this. Um, And when I arrived, he basically sent me away saying, look, I'm really sorry. I'd never had women in here until recently. And I had to let her go because she was too much of a distraction to the kitchen. So that, that was a dagger.
1: Eventually, returned to the U.S., settling in Boston and working as a caterer. She got her first chef position at 25. A few years later, she moved to a restaurant in Harvard Square called Casablanca, where she began to develop a reputation as a fearless and innovative chef. That's when she started to think about opening her own place.
3: It just sort of was, you know, inevitable that someday I would be doing this for myself. I don't think i would ever had issues working for people but there was much more that was coming out of it. I seemed to develop creative purpose, and when that started becoming stronger, I really pursued
1: opening my own thing. She and Gary Griffin, the bartender at Casablanca, spent three years raising about $1 million from investors. They opened Oleana in 2001 in a residential neighborhood with very few restaurants. Anna survived on a credit card and no income for about five months.
3: If I had known how hard it was gonna be, I probably wouldn't have uh, done it, but that phrase, it takes a village, is definitely a big part of my life, no matter what I do to this day.
1: So let me ask you,
2: Victoria, our resident Bostonian, you've been to Oleana, what's it like? Well, it's not in downtown Boston where real estate is really expensive. Anna decided to save money on rent by having it in a more residential neighborhood. So, she's had to make it a destination eating spot, and it is. It's popular and trendy and a great neighborhood restaurant. The decor is pretty simple, and the walls, the chair cushions, and the lighting all have hints of Middle Eastern design. You know, it's interesting, given that she studied in France, that she went with Middle Eastern for her first restaurant. It's actually the culinary theme for all three of her restaurants. Right before she opened Oliana, an acquaintance, who was a food journalist, invited her to visit Turkey. I remember flying
3: into Istanbul and uh, I was in complete culture shock. I didn't understand anything about the Muslim religion, the food, the people, anything at all. Then her friends threw me a, sort of a welcome lunch. There were 30 women that cooked a dish that was very special to them. As I was tasting everything, I had this uh, almost uh, frustration that I had never really known about the food. It's so deep. It's so rich. It's not heavy. All these flavors. I don't know what any of this is. There was sort of a, an epiphany.
1: Wow. Well,
2: does she still have time to spend it, Oleana? Oh, yes. She's usually there a few nights a week expediting, and then she spends a few days of the month in the kitchen changing menus and training staff.
3: Everything we don't a lot of flame in this kitchen either. We kind of cook low and slow. She seems
2: very committed you know. to hiring women, too. Oh, she sure is. More than that, Anna helps build their careers as well. She has female chefs and sous chefs at all three of her restaurants. And she does that because she benefited from a network of women who helped her.
3: In Boston, I would say there's a lot of camaraderie, particularly amongst the women who are in businesses, restaurants here. Jody Adams, for example, is sort of, to me, kind of spearheaded that camaraderie and that support for other chefs. Uh, for me, she's always been a, a role model. She has a lot of um, rich information that she shares with her staff and her friends, too. So I, I've often gone to her with little problems that she's helped me solve, too.
1: So that is our look at female chefs, and I'm glad we're ending on an optimistic note.
2: Yes, me too. We hope young women who are rising up in the ranks of top kitchens won't have to struggle to get media attention. Our thanks to Jody Adams and Anna Sorton for sharing their stories. You know, I think Anna summed it up best when she said it's difficult for
1: anyone to make it in the restaurant business but it's nice to shine a spotlight on prominent female chefs whose reputations and influence speak for themselves.
2: Thank you for listening. I'm Victoria Wong. And I'm Colleen DeBase. Join us next time to
1: hear more stories about innovative and inspirational women doing the things you'd never dream of, or maybe you would. This has been The Story Exchange. If you like what you've heard, visit our website at thestoryexchange.org, where you'll find news, videos, and tips for women entrepreneurs. Editing help provided by Nusha Balian. Production coordinator is Michelle Siata. Interview recorded by Sam Shin. Executive producers are Sue Williams and Victoria Wong.